It's great to have you all back tonight. Thank you. This is uh, week six. My goodness, time flies when you're having fun. I've gotten so old that time flies even when I'm not having fun. You know, it's just the way it is. Um, okay, let me just ask the question. How many of you have perfect attendance so far? Six for six. I am really proud of you. That's great. Now, yes, if you can... Now, if you, if you haven't been able to be here, shh, if you haven't been able to be here personally, and you can prove that you somehow um, watched live stream, like Mike was watching last week, Wives of, what was it? Wives of what city was it? Um, so watching Alpha last week, um, if your dog, maybe your dog will write a note for you as opposed to eating it. Um, we will recognize your perfect attendance. But um, before I forget again this week, I want to encourage you, if there is any way you can join us for uh, the Alpha Weekend, it is, it's such a big part of Alpha. I hate to say it that way because I know some of you have got events that aren't going to allow that to happen. But Saturday, April 15th, uh, we'll start with breakfast at 8.30. Um, and uh, it is honestly a highlight of the course. We talk, again, it's just some things we just don't have enough time to fit in otherwise. And so we just would love it if you can join us. If you can't, we will be recording it. If you can't make it, like all of these are recorded, you can go to YouTube, the Lakeview Christian Center YouTube channel, and you can watch that as well. But do want, want you to pick up this, because I'm, I'm going to actually talk about something in just a moment that the weekend is going to clarify so you're saying, what's that, what is that going to be? Well, it just, I'll tell you in, in just a moment. So, um, so anyway, tonight, um, and, and by the way, you do have registration. If you can make it to the morning or the afternoon, and would you let us know this too? If you can make it to the morning only, then let us know you can make it to the morning only. But if you can make it to the morning and the afternoon, that'll help us make a decision as to whether or not that's going to work out. We plan on doing both the morning, so it'll be morning breakfast, and then we're going to provide lunch as well. So both meals will be provided. It's worth coming. Do you know the amount of money you're going to save, not just by not having to prepare breakfast or lunch? I mean, it's, it's just worth it for that. So anyway, fill out that registration form. If you're, if you're able to come, you think you can come, and uh, then just uh, we will see you on that Saturday. So... Tonight, How Can I Resist Evil? It's actually session 12. It's on page 666. So if you want to, it's actually on page 66. Um, so it is on page 66. It's just kind of funny that way. Um, so if, if I could sum up tonight in just a brief statement. Hello, Blair. Um, the way we primarily resist evil is by learning to have conversation with, to listen to God by getting to know him uh, through spending time with him, by getting to know his word, by having conversations like this. I, I am confident, really, that those of you who've been here for any numbers of weeks would say you've got a better sense. I don't know how much better of a sense, but you've got a better sense and thought about okay, who God is, what the Bible is. If the Bible is true, this is what it's saying to me. This is what it's not saying to me. Um, and tonight as we talk about the, the topic of evil, I would argue that the best way to, to recognize evil more is not by studying evil, but by studying God's word, by getting to know God. You know, they, and when they, in, in the banking business, when they teach people, uh, how to recognize counterfeit bills. 
they don't show them counterfeit bills, primarily. They primarily show them what's the true bill, what's the real authentic bill. And so when you recognize that which is authentic, and of course the scripture is, if the scripture is the truth, the scripture is the authentic word of God that, that should, by our knowledge of it, reveal that which is not authentic, that which is counterfeit. And what is evil? Evil is simply the counterfeit of that which is good. Evil is the absence of good. And so that's what we see through the scripture. So tonight, if there's anything that I want us to dive more into, it's not so much, ooh, let's get all spooked out by evil. Uh, no, let's, let's find out what more the word has to say about how I can and we can resist evil. And here's, here's literally what, what Jesus said in the Gospel of John, the eighth chapter. He said, if you abide in my word. Now, let me just stop you right there. If you abide, what does that mean? Jesus is basically saying is if you will allow my word to abide in you. If you will read my word, let it become a part of you. If you absorb it, just be saturated in it. You are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Remember in the very first week we had together, Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth. So he says, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples. You're my followers is what he's saying here. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Will set, you, set me free from what? Will set me free from lies. Set me free from errors. And set me free from the most... Uh, the, the most horrible end. See, because we've talked about the dash. Now, I'm, I've, I've got my little portable line dash thing here. So here's physical life, okay? The greatest evil that you and I fall into is by, if what the Bible says is true, is by dying without Christ. And so the, the work of evil, the greatest work of evil is to keep us from Entering into a relationship with Christ, as we've talked about it colloquially, saying getting in the wheelbarrow or saying I do or receiving the gift. That is evil's greatest work. So tonight, how can I resist evil? And I would and and win. Uh, so we're talking about the devil. Really? I mean, it is the 21st century. We're going to talk about the devil. Well, according to the Bible, Really? The devil. And there's four things that we could, should consider as we talk about the devil here is things that maybe we should think about a little bit more here. Things to consider about Satan and demons. One, that maybe we're being simplistic and naive not to believe. Or maybe we're being culturally narrow because most of the world does believe in demons. If we believe in God, why not demons? And then fourthly, if the Bible's true and there are demons, there's no way to really respond to them successfully without being in Christ and being in the Bible. And I appreciate Tim Keller's insights there. It's because it seems like the more technological we have become, the more we think we've got it all together the less we want to believe in things that are outside our ability to see. We're going to dive into that in just a little bit more. And so 
So here's some, some reasons here to consider that possibly we've become, we say we're becoming more and more of an open-minded society. I would argue maybe just the opposite is happening. We're opening our minds more and more to only to that which we can see and closing our minds more to that which we cannot see. And the Bible teaches this from Genesis to Revelation, Satan created, rebelling from God, taking a third of the demons with them. And they oppose God and their desire is to destroy men and women made in the likeness of God, the image of God. By most, most importantly, keeping us from the knowledge of the truth. Remember, I just showed you that scripture a moment ago. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. So if Satan, demons, evil, if the purpose is to keep us from knowing the truth, maybe the best way to do that is to keep us from knowing the word. That if we abide in that, makes us his disciples. So in both the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, the New Testament, there are over 47 passages, passages that directly mention Satan, 33 more that speak directly to the devil or demons. And we see this, this is in your manual as well, where we talk about the serpent in the garden, Job, where Satan is seen as being able to tempt Job, his interactions with Jesus, his interactions with the apostles. And the issue is not whether or not this is, this is hard to believe. The issue is whether this is true or not. This is a true or false issue. And I, I just wrote here, if the resurrection is true, just follow me here, and this is, this is Holy Week. If the resurrection is true, then Jesus died. Okay, you got me there? You have to be dead to be resurrected. <laughs> So if the resurrection is true, then Jesus died. And the reason he died was that we could be forgiven of our sins and freed from being in Adam's lineage. Being in Adam, we inherited separation and death because he caved into the lies and temptation of the serpent in the garden. Therefore, dying to his relationship with God and we in Adam have done the same. We inherited, remember we talked about we've inherited Adam's DNA. We have done the same thing. But, but here's what John writes to those who are in Christ. He says, the purpose the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came. So the greatest work of the devil, the greatest work of the devil is to keep you and me in Adam. And not in Christ. Not to try to come up with a better form of you that God says, well, you're not perfect, but you're not that bad. The, the perfect work of the enemy is to keep you and me from surrendering and trusting in Christ. And more than anything else, to cause us to see that I really do have a need that is beyond anything I can do to give me acceptance before God. That need is so great. That means I need a savior doesn't mean I need a life coach. It means I need a savior because I can't save myself. And so the purpose the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And the greatest work that he destroys is that which keeps, that delivers me from Adam, from death into, into life. So 
If there is a devil, as Jesus Christ said, I believe he wants you and me to take what he is doing very personally. Have you ever had somebody tell you in, in business, like, don't, please don't take this personally, it's just business? Have you ever heard anybody say that? It's just business. Okay, well, his business is to make sure that you and I end our dash in Adam. That's his business. And you and I should take that personally. We should take that personally. We should give serious thought to that. That he's maybe gunning for you. Now, maybe you're thinking right now, Frank, uh, what are you trying to scare us? Uh, yeah, maybe I am. But why not? If this is the truth, I can't think of anything else more serious than that. So, and if somebody could deal away with that noise in the back, I'd greatly appreciate it. So, um, thank you. So he is out to destroy you and me. And according to the scripture, if we don't allow the work of Jesus to destroy Satan's work in our lives, then simply, simply put, Satan's going to be all too happy to destroy our lives. This is what Peter wrote to those in, in, in uh, Christ. He said, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Okay, well, just replace that someone with your name. Okay? Hey, George, be sober-minded. Be watchful. You have an adversary. His name is the devil. He may, not, he may not introduce himself as such, but he is your adversary. And he is seeking Chuck. He's seeking you to devour. Now, if the Bible's true, then that's true. And the best way to devour us is to keep us from paying any attention to the truth. Now, 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 why am I telling you this? Well, because I don't want you to be, to be devoured. I have nothing personally to gain from this. I don't want you to be devoured. I didn't want to be devoured. I'm so glad somebody told me, Frank, you're being devoured. I'm so grateful somebody had the guts to tell me you're being devoured and you need to be delivered and you have one hope of delivery. And that is Christ. Mm, that was not in my notes. Um, so Keller's point to be repeated that if the Bible is true and there are demons, there is no really real way to deal with them without the Bible. And knowing that Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the evil one. Wayne Gruden, great teacher, great, great husband, um, wrote a, a massive systematic theology. He said, if scripture gives us a true account of the world as it really is, then we must take seriously its portrayal of intense demonic involvement in human society. Our failure to perceive that involvement with our five senses simply tells us that we have some deficiencies in our ability to understand the world, not that demons do not exist, that we have some deficiencies. In our ability. See, so the issue really isn't whether or not we can see something or not, is it? Um, let me just let's just let me just show you this real quick here. Um, do you know what that is? Um, that is an oversized dust mite. Okay, thankfully it's oversized. Um, but right now, um, I hate to say this, but right now in your bed, um, 
there's probably a dust mite orgy taking place uh, in your bed. I just, I just wanted to get some scientific data here. You have to follow the science, of course. Um, it says um, a typical, let me make sure I make that so you know that, don't forget what that is. It's a typical used mattress may have anywhere from 100,000 to 10 million dust mites inside. 10% of the weight of a two-year-old pillow can be composed of dead mites and their droppings. But no worry, I mean, we're living in New Orleans. Because uh, mites prefer, prefer warm, moist surroundings, such as the inside of a mattress when someone is on it. Um, so anyway, just if anybody's thinking about changing their sheets tonight or their pillow... Um, that would be really good. But, you know, uh, I, j oh, I did want to let you know, I, our sponsor for tonight is um, MyPillow. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. Thank you, Mike, for that. So anyway, <laughs> made a lot of money off of foam and some cushions. But anyway, you know, here's, here's another issue that it, you, you can't, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it can't hurt you. This, this is the swine flu virus in, in a Petri dish, but they were finally able to isolate the, the origin of the swine flu virus, which just shut the whole thing down. This is how they isolated it. Just, <laughs> just started right there, but they put a stop to it. Bah! Okay, so anyway. <laughs> but you know, it's microscopes. Microscopes have been used to discover the things, the things we cannot see with our naked eye and that they're real. Um, and before microscopes, we could just simply see the effects of things. We couldn't see the source of things. They were unseen to us. But clearly, just because we can't see something doesn't mean it cannot harm us. It can, and we have seen through the millennia how it does. But it's the microscope of Scripture that brings us into the spirit realm to see things that we would not otherwise be able to see, but for God giving us his word to reveal to us unseen things that are evil, that long to destroy us. And ignorance, ignorance does not exempt us from evil's Desires. As a matter of fact, ignorance may be, a very, be the very effect of evil, keeping us ignorant from the truth, right? If you abide in my word, Jesus said, if he actually said that, that's the truth. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. You will not be ignorant of the truth. And the truth will set you free from believing those lies that keep us in Adam. So what are some of the devil's tactics? Well, the Bible says that he's got some seriously deceptive ways. He doesn't show up in red pajamas with a pitchfork. Tremendously deceptive. The scripture even says, I, didn't, I was going to give you the scripture tonight and I didn't do that. that it says that even the devil appears to come as an angel of light to deceive he appears to be what he's not to deceive. So you can be the most religious in the world and still be an Adam. 
So we get through the ages, we get these ghoulish or caricature-like images of evil. Uh, they can be through religious means, or, but, but non-biblical, through movies, TV, the arts, video games. I just went and I did a little bit of research on video games. I saw over 277 video games where the entire purpose of the video game is demons. 277. That was just where the direct characters you're dealing with are demons. Um, movies, it's, it's just another thing altogether. Uh, uh, but just horror movies. I mean, the horror movies through the years, you know, and Satan is all too happy to use the fiction of Hollywood or Halloween to, to accomplish his purposes, to not take him very seriously. In um, Virgin Media, an, an article called Why We Are Living in the Golden Age of Horror. It's a great article. You should read that. Um, he says, the number of horror movies made each year has been growing steadily. But in the past two decades or so, there's been a notable shift. In 2000, around 200 horror films were produced. But by 2016... This number had risen to more than 1,000, according to the horror report. The genre now makes up more than 10% of all feature films made. And so, I, why is it we're into getting scared? I don't understand that, but we just seem to be scared. And then when you just look at the, the hundreds of movies that are specifically dealing with deals with the devil, or just demonic movies, are just in the hundreds and hundreds of movies... So where do we get our theology from? Here's the question. Where do we get our theology from? Do we, do we get our theology from the church lady? You long, long enough to remember, you know, could it be Satan? Remember? Just, uh, maybe we get our theology from her. But again, just laugh. Just laugh it off. Or maybe we get, you know, our, our religious from Jack Black. Here's Jack Black, 2009 MTV Awards, leading the entire audience and all the millions that were watching in a prayer to our dear, deep, dark Lord, Satan. So, just laugh it off. It's no big deal. And of course, Satan's made it to the, you know, to the prime time as well. I don't know if you had the joy of watching Lucifer uh, showing on, I think, was it Fox News from 2016 to 2021? Finally canceled in 2021, but after the producers canceled Lucifer, he just went ahead and canceled them. So, um, so as, you, as we look at... That we just, we're just bombarded with this. But not bombarded in a way to make us aware. Bombarded in a way to make us numb. And not think critically. C.S. Lewis, remember? Atheist, didn't believe in any of this stuff. Total existentialist. He said there are two equal and opposite errors. This is after he comes to Christ into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. Nonsense. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Look for one behind every corner. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or an atheist or a magician, somebody that's just out there in terms of just seeing a demon behind every bush with the same delight. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. And hail a materialist, you're paying no attention as to one who pays total attention to him. See, and I think that there's, there are two, two ways in which we see the enemy working here, Satan working. 
One, I would say, and the most important thing is to keep us out of the wheelbarrow. Keep us from saying, I do. Not see the need for that. Waiting for something to kind of jump on me to show me that need. If, if I see that I have a need, if I see that, you know, in, uh, that God-shaped hole that we talked about, that we quoted um, Pascal as saying about, uh, if we recognize that need, we recognize the need and we do something about it. If I'm bleeding, I say, ah, oh, I got a need. I'm going to get that taken care of. I'm bleeding. Well, currently, the Bible says, I'm an Adam. I'm dead. There's an answer for that. If you choose to humble yourself and recognize there is one that can deliver you from death, much worse than a cut arm, death to life. And so that's the major front that Satan fights. But the other one is, once having come to Christ, just still being consumed with the worries of the world and so many things that would keep me from growing in a deep and intimate relationship with him. One of the, one of the lies, and this is one of the weekend things that we're going to talk about, is that some people will say, well, what happens after I... If after, okay, I mean, this seems like such a big jump here. Um, what happens to me? Okay, but if I, if I receive Christ, what happens if I sin again? What happens if I keep on sinning again? Well, can I just encourage you? I have sinned more times since I've received Christ than before I received Christ. The issue is not how good you are. The issue is how good he is. Okay? It doesn't mean I now have a free path. Wait, I just get in Christ and I can sin all I want? Technically, yes. And technically, you won't want to. He changes our want to. We got to see that. He changes our want to. Yes, we will still sin. But as I've talked to you guys already, this is an issue of new life, not new leaf. You remember that? It's not about turning over a new leaf and trying to be better. This is you have a new life. Christ gives you a new life. He makes you his son, his daughter. God makes you his son, his daughter. And I'm grateful. I know my, my grandkids are grateful. I know my kids are grateful that I didn't disown them because they didn't live up to my standards. I didn't live up to my parents' standards. See? That's the whole purpose of the cross of Jesus Christ because we can't to have the ability to get out of Adam. Christ does. And we can't to stay in Christ. Christ does that. He does that. And it's so important to see that because that will be one of the lies you're never going to be able to live up to it. You won't be able to keep up. It's the, the truth is the same on both sides. God opens my eyes to see I need a savior. I need a heavenly father. And he seals me as his son to remain his son. He does all of that. But because our minds are so filled with religious, I got to do this to maintain my position, we feel like we have to go from, okay, God saved me by his grace and takes me out of Adam. He gives me what I don't deserve, but I now have to do something to stay there. That is a huge demonic lie. And I know a lot of you guys are hearing that as I say that, because that's where... I lived. It's just so important to see that. 
Christ saves me from Adam and he keeps me in himself. It's all by his doing. And that changes my want to. That changes my want to. So, so here, let me just give you Satan's resume. I was in the employment business for 44 years, so let's, I like to look at resumes, not this one. But it says, for the thief comes, do you see the adverb there? Only. This is all he does. 365, 24, 7. He comes only, doesn't take a day off. Only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He does that by dividing. Okay? There's death in Adam, dividing us from life in Christ. Christ comes to destroy the divisive, stealing, killing, destroying work of the evil one. He comes to destroy that dividing line and bring us into him. So that's what he does. He comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. And then Paul goes on to write in his second letter to the Corinthians. He says, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving, those who are still in Adam, that they might not see the light, the direction, the truth of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so he wants to keep our eyes blind from seeing. The question is, okay, think about this. I hope you think about this tonight maybe as well. If this is true, how are you not seeing? Why did I not see until I saw? It's something maybe to think about, talk about at your table tonight. What are you or I not seeing that we need to see? Well, is it, if Satan really is out for our eternal destruction, what could he be doing to keep me from seeing? Does he really care about little old me? Yeah. I don't understand that. I'm not telling you I understand that. But I believe that's true. And I believe it's true because I believe the word of God is true. And I have too much evidence in the very resurrection of Christ to not believe that that is true. So to keep us blind from our true need by keeping us from the truth. Because, you see, he's a liar and he is the father of lies. This is what Jesus said to a bunch of religious people. The most religious of the times, people called the Pharisees. They were the, they were the great business and religious leaders of the time. This is what Jesus says, says to them. He's saying this to them, okay? He's got a little, little more courageous than I am. He said this. He said, you belong, you Pharisees, you religious leaders, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. Remember the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy? He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. Okay, now, if this is truth, and we should take personally, every one of us, individually, personally, his work to still steal, kill, destroy us, there's no truth in him. His purpose is to lie to make us think we don't need to be in Christ. We're fine just like we are. So, there's so many ways that he works. Even through, just again, sincere religion. Removing God from the public square. I mean, 
from the 1960s, 1963, when the Supreme Court voted God out of the public square, how we've thrived as a people. Just the opposite. Our technological advancements are like this, and our relationships with one another and getting along are like this. And now if you hold a position in the scripture, you're a, you're a prefix phobe. Uh, you're intolerant. And the things that are written in this word are now considered evil, narrow, hateful. Um, and it's interesting that Paul wrote to the young pastor Timothy. He says, in the last days, people will call that which is good, evil. And that which is evil, good. Something to think about. Why is that? Why is that? What else does he do? He distorts the truth about God. I mean, imagine, if there, okay, if there is no God, who is to say what's right and what is wrong? Really, think about that. I mean, if we just come from two little amoebas, you know, they got drunk on a Saturday night and just happened to get together and just boom, here comes the universe. Who is to say what's wrong? Who's to say Hitler was wrong? Who's to say Saddam Hussein is wrong? Who's to say Osama bin Laden was wrong? Who is to say? Really, think about that. Who, who sets up the morals? Who sets up the mores? Who sets up what's right and wrong if there is no God? Who's to say? Nobody is to say. But you have to think about that. So, another way, thing he does is distort the truth about God. Okay? If you come to Christ, just life is over. Right? There's no more fun. Okay? Uh, you, you get on a, a trip to Africa. It's a one-way trip, and you just spend your life in Africa because life's over. You just come to Christ and just prepare to be bored or dead and certainly poor because you have to give all your money away. Um, uh, you, you, but you do get to spend more time on Bourbon Street, uh, but not with hurricane in your hand. You probably get to spend a little bit of time with, you know, there with that big old cross and, and uh, a megaphone where you just get to scream out, repent, you sinners, things like that. Um, but these are the things, these are the things, and, and certainly do not come to Christ because uh, worst thing yet, you're going to have to dress up in black and white and serve at the next alpha program, and we certainly couldn't, don't want to do that. Um, I have a dear friend, um, his name is, uh, I hope I've got a, um, his name is Renee. Uh, Renee and I were best friends from high school, and we're still good friends to this day. Um, uh, and after, I, I became a follower of Christ as a sophomore at, at, at LSU, and I would stay in touch with Renee. Renee was at Tulane, and, um, and we would just talk about what God had done in, in my life, and uh, and Renee goes on, he gets an MBA from Stanford, just a smart guy, great man. Um, so he came back, and we're still having lunch together. We both work downtown, so we'd see one another, and I'd, you know, here's Frank just telling him about Jesus. And uh, he's still having lunch with me anyway. And, uh, and so Renee went through kind of a tough time, and I, uh, t we talked a little bit more, and I, and I really talked to him more about Christ, and I'll tell you uh, in, a, in another moment the analogy I gave him. But my, my dear friend uh, became a follower of Christ. I was so excited about that. And um, we had lunch one day uh, after that, and he's just, he 
I mean, I can just see the difference, the, just the joy in my dear friend's face. And we're having lunch. He said, you know, Frank, I got to tell you, um, I want you to know what took me so long to, to receive Christ. And I said, Renee, I, I, I want to hear this. So I pulled my pen out. And it's like, this is going to be good material. And he said, Frank, what took me so long to come to Christ is you. Okay, um, I said, Renee, what, what do you mean? He said, I was afraid I was going to have to be like you, and I do not want to be like you. And I said, ah, Renee, you just did me a great favor. Now, I didn't know at the time I'd be telling all you guys that story, but that is such a true statement. That you see somebody standing up here, you know, has maybe some speaking skills, maybe not, but stands up here and he just looks like he's kind of got it all together, which my wife will be happy to just stand in line. Um, but when I became a follower of Christ, I was frank with Christ in me. That's it. I didn't wake up all of a sudden. I, I mean, I glowed. Or nothing was different about me. I just had Christ in me. And he is the one that began to change me. Still love sports. Still love to participate in sports. You know, all those things. I was just, I was me with Christ in me. And, and, and your table leaders can tell you the same thing. Just you with Christ in you. You don't have to become like anybody else. You just be you with Christ in you. That's... That's the difference. Christ is the difference. He doesn't ask us to be anyone. He just asks us to be submitted, trusting, surrendering him. So, so what else do we see about the enemy? That he's an accuser. He is a constant accuser of believers. In the very last book of the New Testament, the 12th chapter in the book of Revelation, John writes, For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, those are those who are in Christ, who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They, those are those in Christ. How did they overcome him? <laughs> this is great. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Simply put, they overcame him by the cross and saying, I do. That's how it happened. They overcame him by, hey, you can accuse me all you want and you're right. But he paid my bill. He paid for me to be here. And he let me see that his payment was enough. See, the blood of the lamb. Is what gives me entrance into God's presence. Forgives me. God accepts me. God keeps me. That's all by his doing. That's because of his love and mercy, not because of my menial efforts. He did that for me. And the word of my testimony is simply responding, yes, I receive the gift. Yes, I trust you. Yes, I'm getting in. Yes, I say I do. But the enemy is constantly at work. Whether you're in Adam to keep you out of Christ or in Christ to keep you thinking you're still in Adam. Because he does that. And what does that look like? 
continues to accuse and tempt. Tim Keller helps us out here again. How? By looking more at our sinful work than the Savior's work. Okay, do you see that? To look, by looking more at how you and I have failed than how the Savior succeeded for us. How he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Right, to obsess over looking at past sins where the result of the sins cannot be undone. Living a life of regret and guilt over something that cannot be changed. What the Bible says is true. He's doing that. Those thoughts somehow in your brain. He's somehow working in that. Third, think that current difficulties are a result of or punishment for past sins. Kind of this karmic type, you know, lifestyle, this Hinduistic thing. You're just paying for your sins. You're paying your guilt down. If the Bible is the truth, if Jesus actually is resurrected on that first resurrection day, which we'll be celebrating, uh, Jesus already paid for all of them. He's not getting back up on a cross. He didn't forget any of them. He causes us to believe that we wouldn't have sinful desires or we wouldn't be in the mess we're in if we were really followers of Christ. Again, I've been in Christ for many decades. I see many in Christ blow it big time. I'm one of them that blows it big time. This is what sets Christianity apart from everything. God knew I was going to blow it big time when I didn't know I was going to blow it big time and had already determined to put me into Christ. You know any love like that? There's only one. And that is his unconditional, merciful, gracious love. And that is the antithesis of the work of the one who holds the dominion of darkness. So, so I want to, I just, I want to talk to this, this issue. I want to go back to my friend, Renee, see what time it is. I want to go back to my friend, Renee, for a minute, because when my friend and I, Renee and I were talking about, um, let me see if I've got this here. Yes, I do. Okay, good. You thought you'd get away from this, but no. Um, when my friend and I, Renee and I were talking Again, Rene was, he kind of grew up in a religious home, um, but just wasn't understanding what he had to do. And again, I couldn't help him there, but it was this issue of committed that really messed with him. And I said, Rene, I said, let me just share an example with you. Um, let's say um, you're going to get on an airplane, okay? Now, this is what you think. You, you, so you go up the gangway, this airplane, and Jesus is standing there with his arms out and he welcomes you into the airplane and he hugs you by the neck. This is great news, isn't it? Hugs you by the neck, but then he grabs you and throws you into the pilot seat. Can you imagine? And says, fly this sucker and you better not screw up or you know what's going to happen. I said, Renee, that's not the picture of committed. Let's back up. Down the gangway, 
there is Jesus hugging with the warmth of an embrace you have never experienced before. And he says, I'm so glad you said I do. And he takes you and he moves you to first class and he sits you in first class and he seatbelts you in and he says, stay here. He said, the flight is going to get bumpy. There are going to be times you think it's going down. There are going to be times when you want to come flying out of first class through the cockpit door and throw me out and try to fly the thing. Do not do that. I want you to be committed to my commitment to take you from the dash and through the dash and through the line. So my friend Renee and I um, parted. I get a phone call at my office a few minutes later, just gotten back to my desk. It's Renee. I said, hey, Renee, what's up? This is the his, word for word. That damned airplane analogy. <laughs> he said, I see it. And I'm in. Now, was it an, ana an analogy that made him see it? Was, obviously, God opened his eyes to see something he did not see before. God showed him that. <laughs> And when we're in Christ, we, we see here now, we begin to see that there's nothing left to condemn. I mean, think about that. Uh, here's, what, here's what Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. So that must mean that if you are not in Christ Jesus, you're in Adam. Therefore, ergo, if the scripture's true, there is line condemnation. For those who are in Christ, for the law of the spirit of life, life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Okay. The law of, in Christ is life. The law of sin and death is keep the rules. The rules condemn me. The Ten Commandments condemn me. Well, why did God give the Ten Commandments? Two reasons. One, to show us how holy he is. And two, to show us how holy we're not. So that we would say, what must I do to be taken out of Adam and placed into Christ if it's not keeping the rules? It's by realizing there's a, there's a new law. And it's called the law of the spirit of life. And guess who kept that law? Yeah, Jesus did. He kept the law for you and me that we couldn't keep for ourselves. Therefore, obliterating the law of sin and death. Because he said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it because you can't. I came to do for you what you can't do for yourself. That's how much I love you. And he hung on a cross. And as he died, he said, I do. It's finished. Do you? Because it won't be finished for you. Until you say, I do. That's the point. So, this is an important issue. So, when Jesus hangs on the cross, here's, here is, here's even greater. How many sins did you commit 2,000 years ago, by the way? 
Okay, none of us is that old. But when Christ hangs on the cross, he dies for all sins, all of our collected sins the whole world has ever committed. I, I can't imagine that. He, he carries, in three hours, he carries the sins of all the world for all time. And he forgives them all. But not only that, he takes me, the sinner, and he crucifies me, the sinner, in him. And so that I have full forgiveness of all my sins, past, present, and future, because he's not getting back up on the cross again. Right? Jesus came once to die for sin. Once. That's all. He did it all in one shot. He did it all. And he, and he wants us to know that. Past, present, and future. And so... So Paul writes to the Corinthians again, he said, I'm afraid lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. So he's a deceiver. Your mind shall be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. How simple and pure is trying to live out all the rules all the time? Not just in your actions and in your words, but remember your thought monitor. How simple and pure is that? It's impossible. It's simply impossible. That, that's why I would humbly argue that religion can condemn us because we can't keep our own rules. We can't even keep our own church's rules. We can't do it. Simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. That's it. Trusting, being committed to, staying in first class, <laughs> trusting him to get me from this side to the next. So what is the position of the believer? Let's just look at this. So Paul writes the church at Colossae. says, for he, that is Jesus, for those who are in Christ, you see the past tense word here? Delivered us. It's done. For those who are in Christ, delivered us. It doesn't say, for he is delivering us out of the domain of darkness. He delivered us out of the domain of darkness and, here's the domain of darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what he said. There's, there's, there's no neutral ground here. Let me just give you an, an, another analogy here. Okay, there's, there's no neutral ground. There's no median. Okay, there's a change of address. And there's an exchange of lives, right? If anyone is in Christ, he, she becomes a new creation. All things have passed away. Everything becomes new. And so there are two lives. There are only two lives. There are only two addresses in God's economy. Okay, hear this. There are only two addresses. Okay? There's the dominion of darkness. And according to the Bible, if I'm callous or confused or curious or convinced, I'm still in the dominion of darkness. But if in the kingdom of light, that means, Lord, I trust you completely. I trust you now and forever. I mean, I feel like it. My feelings may wane. But it's your grace that gave me the faith to believe. See, in the dominion of darkness, these are the accoutrements of living in the kingdom of darkness. Satan is still your dad. 
sin still oppresses you. Death forever. Slavery and bondage. Destruction, confusion, deception, fear. All these are a result of being the dominion of darkness. But in the kingdom of light, we have Christ. We have full forgiveness. We have his life. We have the ability to walk in freedom and power to overcome sin. We have salvation. We've been rescued. The Bible even says that we have the mind of Christ. God gives us the ability to think clearly and uses his word to reveal the truth to us by the indwelling Holy Spirit, who we'll talk about next week. Next week is who is the Holy Spirit. That's session eight. And then a love unlike anything we could ever imagine. An unconditional love that has lavished upon us redemption and forgiveness. So, we know the scriptures, we know the word of God. It is a sharp sword against Satan. Um, the writer of the Hebrews said this, He himself, that is Jesus, put on flesh and blood that through his death, he might destroy him who has the power of death. That is the devil. I do not want to be under the one who has the power of death. The devil. But Jesus put on flesh and blood that he might destroy him who has the power of death. And that is the evil one. And so do we, what do we do? James says this. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So the submission that he's talking about is the submission of saying, I do not want to be an Adam. I want to be in Christ. I don't want death. I want life. That's the greatest submission that there is. I say I do to Christ. And I am taken out of death. Death's door. Satan is... I'm going to get back to this real quick. Satan is no longer my father. My, the dominion of darkness is no longer my abode. I am now in the kingdom of light. I've been placed into Christ. And what he did now is accrued to me. He is destroyed in my life. Death is destroyed in my life. Right? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And he who believes in me will never die Here's the question, do, do you believe that? Well, if you do, get in. Get in. Submit to God. If I'm submitting to God, guess what I'm doing automatically? Resisting the devil. So, okay, first submit to God. Second, resist the devil. Third, no, it's submit to God and you will resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Our daddy is bigger than he is. And you and I need to know that. And if I abide in his word, I will be truly his disciple and I will know the truth and the truth will make me free. So, um, God, this is just an introduction here. Um, but this is a spiritual battle, whether it looks like it or feels like it or not. If the Bible says so, if Christ is alive, raised from the dead on the third day, to me it kind of corroborates, it corroborates 
everything. And this is the psalm for all who have trusted Christ. And I'll, st- I'll stop with this. Um, psalm 18, David, King David wrote this. Uh, and I, I love this. This is beautiful. It, again, just see here the initiation of God. He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He delivered me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me at a moment when I was weakest, but the Lord upheld me. He led me to a place of safety. Here it is. It's the only place of safety. He rescued me because... I hear this. He rescued you because he delights in you. There's a God who sent his son to die for us because he delights in us. Thought about God delighting in you? Well, if he sent his son, he must think pretty highly of you if he would give his son so that you and I could get out of hell, out of Adam, and into Christ. How do I resist evil? First and foremost, get out of Adam. Say, I do. Receive the gift. Get in the wheelbarrow. As I've said a hundred times, it has nothing to do with where you go to church or your denomination or affiliation. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has everything to do with Christ who came to personally deliver each and every one of us from the dominion of darkness and place us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, there's a couple more things to talk about here, but I'm not going to do that now because I'm out of time. Um, Just ways to resist him. We can talk about that at at our tables tonight a little bit more. But next week we will be in session eight, who is the Holy Spirit. We'll continue that into the weekend. So again, if you can join us for the weekend, we would absolutely love for you to join us, even if it's just the morning or the afternoon or one or the other or both, that would be great. But let's do this. Let's take a quick break and I sure hope to see you next week. Thank you guys so much for being here.